Hello and welcome to Ways Women Lead, the podcast where remarkable female leaders share their personal journeys and offer valuable guidance on advancing your career as a woman in leadership. Join host Anna Gramadska and her guests as they delve into various aspects of leadership, including diversity, equity, and inclusion. This podcast is brought to you by Six Group, a global executive search and leadership advisory firm. Natasha, hello. Welcome to Ways Women Lead. Hello, Anna. Thank you for for having me. It's lovely to have you here and I'm really excited uh, for this conversation and hear more about your story, the advice you could give to others who would be interested in in progressing with similar uh, career journey and taking on similar roles, very interesting roles that you've held throughout your career. So just to kind of summarize and introduce yourself. So currently you are a director of customer quality warranty and risk at Bentler Automotive. And you've had an exciting, diversified career over the 20 years uh, working for major manufacturing businesses such as Mann and Hummel and Bentler. You've worked based out of Germany and China and USA, and you've lead teams of up to 200 people and manage through others and manage cross-functionally. So maybe I'll start with the first question. What have been the biggest milestones in your leadership journey up to where you now? I think you mentioned most of the milestones that from an outside perspective could be mentioned. The the different cultures that I was able to see with, with Europe, China and the US. From a more personal perspective, the biggest milestones was every new team I had. So when you're looking at a new team, be that from a different culture, um, different age, or different experience, it's always a new challenge in a positive way to understand the team, to to find out how they operate together and in interaction with me. That was always something that I enjoyed and it was basically a milestone for me because it was getting to know different people and learning a lot for myself from them. So that is the most important ones for me. And again, going back to the outside perspective, there might be you spent three years in China. Yes, the more important part for me was always I interacted three years in a different culture. So it was the human aspect that was most exciting, most fascinating for you? Absolutely, yes. So could you tell a little bit more, how is managing a team in a completely different country, how is it different? What challenges does it bring? What's what's exciting about it? What have you learned? The funny thing about it, it, it was different from what I'd known before because I hadn't known anything. It was my yeah. first team. It was leading as a German in China. And it was a young team and it was an ambitious team. They wanted to learn. So it was very, very easy. My team liked to listen to my advice, were were willing to, to put in their experience from their culture because it, it was obvious. I mean, I hadn't worked abroad in China, so they had an, a big advantage. So we basically cooperated there. Everyone learned from each other. 
Um, I brought something to the table. I knew the company. I knew the headquarter. I also had good connections to home, but they knew their culture. They knew their market. So it was a, a good mix of, of learning together and growing. We, we grew from two people in the beginning in a more customer related role to 10 people with testing in a production environment, developing filters. So it was a, a learning journey all throughout. So it was a very much enjoyable experience for what you're saying. It was <laughs> absolutely, yes. Uh-huh. How big was your team in the end there? It was just 10 people. Uh-huh. But um, covering all all aspects of development, customer interaction, as well as supplier production interaction. So it was a nice small team, um, uh-huh. but basically covering everything that was needed. So it was all product development uh, phases. Correct. Correct. Uh-huh. And you've been in China for three years. Yes. That's quite a bit of time of our lives, isn't it? Three years, hey. it's a lot can happen in three years. I agree, but it, it was <laughs> excitement. Um, I never got had time to think. So uh-huh. it was just something new every day. If there was a person, and I'm sure there are many, who would like to take a similar step, move to China either with a company or to a new company, take on a new role there. Moving from any European country, really, it will be such a change wanted what advice would you give them to make a success out of it what was your biggest learning you know what would you tell them to prepare themselves set themselves up for success when they would take on this role one of the the advice that i would give is something that you already mentioned in your question is basically the person wants to do it If someone wants to do it, he or she can do it. So the advice I would probably give is be brave. Just do it. What's the worst thing in the worst case scenario that you can think of that happens? Once you know, prepare for it and do it. It's as easy as that. I mean, it's like going to to the embassy to get your visa. It's the first time if you haven't done it for China, but it's easy because you've been to embassies before. Boarding the plane, you probably have done it before. So, yes, it's exciting because there's three years, 10 years. You don't know how long there's ahead of you, but it's different. If you want it, if you're willing just do it. Do you think there are any specific skills that you need to acquire, you know, to make it a success? You make it sound so easy. Uh, Was it something inherent in your leadership style that made it, you know, such an exciting journey for you? Uh, Or is it, as you say, just a case of trying not to let maybe fear get in the way of things and just go and do it? Right. I I think it's the latter. I think I am. Um, once I've done something for the first time, it's pretty easy. And looking back, things are always easier. Mm-hmm. Of course, I thought about things. But uh, once you start comparing what you have and what you could have, at least for me, that is something where I go, well, yeah, I learned a lot. It was a, a very good experience. But what else is there? Mm-hmm. And once you have that t- type of attitude and you describe it as wanting something, it's easy. <laughs> it is. <laughs> I'm not saying it's not a lot of work. Uh, yeah. And I'm not saying it's a lot of thinking about your future. And once you do it, you leave things behind. You mm-hmm. can come back once you see, no, I made a mistake. This is not what I want to do. But once you embrace it and go for it, it'll change your life. So it's um, probably taking on the right mindset, as in thinking of the glass half full 
not, you know, not thinking of there are plenty of opportunities. And just because you might be doing even if if you might if you make small mistake or even if something doesn't work out, this is not the end. There's you you will gain most likely you will gain more than you will lose. Exactly. I mean, I, I think that's my attitude, the, the half full rather than half empty. <laughs> Fantastic. So the next big milestone for you was moving to the US. There was another big, big change, completely different role, different team. Would you share a little bit more about this experience? It was a smaller milestone because I'd worked in the US for first as an au pair. So I, I knew the country. I knew how the culture, how people behaved. And in addition, I also had six months working in a task force, not in my role, but in a task force. So I knew the people, I knew the company, I knew the culture. It was a milestone, yes, because I never really worked in the US with living there. But it was somewhat smaller, not as exciting as going to China. <laughs> the, the difference wasn't as big, was it? Exactly, <laughs> exactly. So when you were in the US, you were part of Man and Homo. And, and your role there, just to give a context, and your role there was, so while you were in the USA, what was your role there? Just to give a little bit of context. Put some, some of it in between, between China and the US, I'd done document management. Mm -hmm. So coming from China with all the excitement, I picked a role which was very important to my future career because I learned a lot of things there. But document management and everything, the standardization and so on, I didn't want to do it for my entire life. So to answer your question, when I moved to the US, um, I went to production quality. Mm -hmm. So from documents, from office, headquarter, corporate function, I moved to a plant function. I had a little team and we basically did production quality. So uh, when when there was something wrong in production, uh, we would work together with production people to, to fix it. If we weren't able to fix it and it had gone to the customer, um, we would solve it together with the customer and the, the production team. We put a lot of focus there on making sure it doesn't go wrong. So basically understanding how everything runs and then working together with, with the colleagues to, to prevent it from happening. Mm -hmm. So not fixing, but preventing. Mm -hmm. And getting that mindset into, into the heads of, of everyone in the, in the plant. So there was creating processes for the plant uh, to ensure that work runs smoothly and um, you minimized any mistakes or any duplicates of work as much as possible. Exactly. Preventing rather than fixing. Well, when we discussed last time, this role, I think, had some challenges of its own uh, because you've learned the two mindsets, right? The, the mindset of documentation, people who created documentation and how important for them was to have that documentation in a certain way. But then on the other hand, people who use the documentation, the documentation that was created not always might have been created in a way that it was realistic to 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 apply it all the time so so you saw it from the customer point of view and pro, the creator of the process point of view and it allows allowed you to uh, collaborate better between functions or, or learn to, to collaborate better between functions right and i think you mentioned a, an important point um it's understanding each other mm -hmm. um sometimes what you mentioned a headquarter function who has a brilliant idea for the brilliant process does 
doesn't realize that even if someone in production or related functions in, in the plant, they do not necessarily have the time to actually do it exactly like it's described. If it takes two hours, but I, I am disturbed by uh, phone calls and someone from production saying to, to come by immediately every five minutes, I simply don't have the time to do it that way. And looking at it from, an, from a different perspective, that's where, where I think you need, a, again, to collaborate to understand the different perspectives. That's also something that from cross-functional team, you have to understand where where the different perspectives are coming from. It's not that the, the plant doesn't want to follow what the headquarters is saying. Sometimes it's just not possible. Mm -hmm. And once headquarter understands that, it's also possible to interact on this basis mm -hmm. and come up with a solution that is possible to be done following the same targets and reaching the same goal. So you were quite influential in this role in feeding back to the headquarters that the process needed to be changed to make it more realistic for the people within the production plant to follow it. I, I would use every opportunity I would get to uh, explain it, not to uh, complain, but to ex actually explain it. Mm -hmm. It's not so much headquarter does something wrong, but headquarter, we found trouble here and there, and those were the reasons. Mm -hmm. So making it possible to adapt to something that was actually doable for everyone. What was exactly the process? It was quality process, right, for, for the production line? Uh, it was change management. Change management. <laughs> so, uh -huh. so basically understanding how a change would influence the production, the outcome, the product, what the customer would get. And change management for a technical also means a change manage for, uh, for the people working with it. So based on your experience there, what advice would you give to other people who are managing cross-functional teams where it's really important that these teams understand the aspects of each other's work because that will allow them to, to make the, they, they work more effective? Like you said, it's the understanding part. So the advice would be in a cross-functional team is always understanding the targets. Targets of a development engineer are completely different than those from a sales engineer. And yet they're um, both relevant and they're also something the company, the entire company needs. So once you understand the target of the other function in a cross-functional team, makes it easier for you to create situations or processes or results that understand everyone's perspective. While the perfect product might be needed in some cases, it is not needed on all cases. And if the the perfect product for the engineer is not the perfect product for sales because it might be too expensive or uh, have things that are not needed in the market, for example. Mm -hmm. so, so understanding each other and in cross-functional teams, I think it's understanding the targets of each other. I think that's a brilliant advice to so understand each other's targets and why these targets as well are there as well because I think it's so easy to go to another function and say hey you're ruining our work rather than why are you doing your work this way why have you told your teams to do this what's your target why is this target there and then it gives you the context and then platform to collaborate in a more effective way so there's no tensions 
to understand each other better. And, and in the end, both contribute towards achieving the goals of the overall company. Exactly. And even working on your own goals, if you're dreaming about the perfect product and you explain it to sales, maybe they find opportunity to sell it differently to the customer. So you might not get the the product that you desired in the beginning, but much more than um, if you weren't working together, but basically confronting each other. What has been the proudest moment uh, as a leader? Being proud is always something difficult for me to describe. I like little things. So all the little things that are achieved, the, the, all the first steps that made it possible to take the next, in this case, little step. But when you're looking back, it's a huge step from where you started. You just, or I, uh, just did a lot of small steps. Looking back, it was a huge, giant step. But it was very, and those made me proud, the little things that I do for the first time. And um, what about the automotive industry? So I want to ask you a little bit about, just to kind of share some excitement about the automotive industry. What have you found most fascinating about working for this industry? What has been maybe most interesting projects you've worked on? Why someone should join this industry? I like the, I would call it excitement. I like how the automotive industry is cost conscious because it, you have to think, you, you have to spend your money wisely. And once you want to do that, you have to come up with maybe not the perfect solution, but a very good one. And then what I also like about the automotive industry that you can scale it. You're you're building 300,000 cars that have all the same piece. So once, once you start with developing one, you better get it right because otherwise it's a lot of work that you're ahead, <laughs> you uh-huh. have to. So it forces you to, first of all, be very innovative and very careful about your decisions and how you do your work, because, as you said, it's very cost conscious. So, of of course, you have to pay attention to profits. But also, once you've made certain decisions, it's really difficult to, to take it back because your production goes on a massive scale. So it really forces you to be really careful in, in how you make your decisions and, and, and how you conduct your work. Exactly. And more more recently, um, I think everyone has heard that the automotive industry is getting faster by the second. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is something where we've learned about cons- cost consciousness, about getting it right. And, and now we're basically working, increasing speed. So that's what excites me as well. Be- building on what we've learned before, again, with small steps, but basically not trying to reinvent the wheel, but working from that in increasing speed. It sounds like you love a challenge. You you find yourself <laughs> like a fish in a sea in a challenging environment. You thrive in this. <laughs> yes, uh, I think, yes, that's correct. I would summarize it as if it's already on the CV, it's not a challenge. Let's look for something else. <laughs> <laughs> So I think there are themes that everyone knows about when it comes to the automotive industry. All the automotive companies are going through electrification and working towards more autonomous driving uh, with its, you know, just certain uh, certain level or, or full autonomous. There are new automotive brands coming from China. There is um, 
that of course creates all different dynamics for the automotive industry. There's need, as you said, there's faster speed of innovation, need for increased R&D and need for increased CapEx. We've had some recent challenges like supply chain bottlenecks and rising commodity costs, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, From your perspective, what are the biggest challenges you see in the industry that influence your role and your company and how do they influence you? Everything that you just mentioned, when I'm looking at, at the role in itself, I would always say it's not that bad because we're quality risk warranty is always three, five years after development. But on the other hand, when you look at it, it's maybe not influencing the role, but the people inside the function. Obviously, everyone sees what's going on. Everyone understands that there are changes happening. So once you're not in the change, it becomes so big because you can't describe it. Once you're in the change, you you learn with your small steps that it's not so bad. And um, yes, it's changing, but I'm part of it and I understand what's going on. Once you're outside, and this is why, why it makes more difficult for, for the function of quality risk and warranty is that you can't assess. You just know sometime in the future, it this change that is happening now that I can't influence will hit me. So the understanding of what's going on without really being involved is something difficult from, I think, without really knowing it from a psychological perspective. You're not in the change, so you don't have the positive victories or solve problems, but you're just seeing something is happening and you know it will influence your future. So by nature, the quality and warranty function is more reactive rather than driving this change. And that's the good thing. Um, We also have advanced quality and they're part of the change. So once you start the communication there, uh, explaining what's going on, having input from advanced quality into quality, warranty and risk, it's still explaining, but at least with quality terms. What's the difference between advanced quality and quality? Advanced quality is basically you're planning the product so nothing will go wrong once production starts. So you're in advanced quality, you're involved three to four years prior to start of production. Mm-hmm. In quality, you're working starting from production, uh, start of production, um, and everything that's going on later on in the field once uh, the consumer has the product. Right, of course. So as a part of advanced quality, you're part of creating that process for the future productions. Exactly. And well, and once the uh, the the colleagues in advanced quality explain what's going on, obviously there's less unease of a change that it's happening because you understand the, the quality people understand the terms and terminology of the advanced quality people. So you, you create the change, the change isn't imposed on you. Exactly. And um How do you manage that then? You have teams. So as you said, okay, it might be easier for the advanced quality teams, but there are those other teams that feel a little bit more affected by the change. How do you manage your teams through change? And what advice would you give to other leaders who have to manage their teams through change, be it in automotive sector or any other sector, because changes can, can mean so many different things, right? 
Yeah, like I mentioned, I think several times before, taking the fear out of it, the unease is something, and that's individual. That's not the entire team. So once you understand um, that maybe it's not stubbornness or willingness to destroy things, but there might be a little bit of fear and unease in it, you can start working with that rather than punishing, trying to understand the real reason and then work with that. So could you give me an example of how you've worked with a specific team or a specific individual to help them adapt or accept this change? For example, if you understand or in the past when I understood that it wasn't a bad person, but someone who wasn't as adaptable to change as others were, we talked a lot. We also said or I also said the change will happen, but we take the time and we take the the easy things that they are comfortable with we show where in the change are the ones that remain constant mm-hmm. and um it was a lot of talking where others would embrace change uh we worked together and uh, talked um always making sure we will have to adapt the change is coming but we take the time that we need to adapt to it. And if that's a little slower than for others, we know it's more thorough. So later on, the basis will be much bigger than for others that go, here's the change, I'll do it. (laughs) Uh And something that you just said, which was interesting, they kind of break the change down as well and identify which parts are the constant parts that they can make that person uh, more comfortable with the change and then which are the parts that the change that they will have to adapt to. Exactly, exactly. Final question. Having looked at your leadership journey over these years and all the different experiences you had, what advice would you give to your younger self at the point of entering workforce again? Looking back, and I I did look back, and um, in some cases, I have to say thank you very much to all my teams because Mm -hmm. I've learned a lot, which also means I wasn't the way I am now in the beginning. As before, I would say, be brave, just try it. (laughs) Understand that people will look at you differently once you are a leader from just a colleague, but that's normal. It's, It's strange in the beginning, but it's perfectly normal. So if you want to do it, just do it. Different as in they will look up to you and they will look to you for comfort, for advice, for guidance. Yes, but Uh also for questioning your leadership Uh style, Uh questioning your answers, questioning your guidance. Uh So the negative things, not just Uh the praise, but also the, the questions where you start asking yourself, am I really the one that they need or that I want to be? That's the tough part. Uh You're being scrutinized more. I think both. I've been looked in China when I said I want to carry my bag myself. They were looking at me. Why does she do it? She's my Mm -hmm. boss. Uh (laughs) (laughs) But in standardization, obviously, with with lots of experience of everyone putting new things into place, you get questions. (laughs) Uh uh Why are you doing this? We've done it differently and we've been successful. Um, Mm -hmm. There are those questions that you have to deal with. But once you want to do it, you will deal with them and you will learn. And then 
it happens. Be brave, just do it. <laughs> okay, so leading on from this one final question, then, <laughs> how did you deal with that new sense of, you know, being observed and being scrutinized? I try to understand the 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 reasons. Why is someone doing it? Is it me because I'm doing something unexpected? Is it me doing something that could be changed easily? I was I simply wasn't aware of it, but I got used to it. Uh-huh. <laughs> that, that's just it. There, you can't please everyone, but you can try to understand the different reasons for it. Uh-huh. And once you know them, it's easy to to work on them. Not necessarily fix them, but to work on them. I really like your very um, objective, cool approach, right? It's 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 about trying to find objectivity, not let yourself to be maybe driven by an emotion because of the new situation, but take a step back, look at things objectively. Can I change something? Do I need to change something? Or should we just carry on? And because everything is fine in a in a bigger bigger scale, in a bigger grand scheme. Exactly. It's not personal. It's it's usually interpersonal and one can fix that. Thank you so much. It's been such an insightful conversation. Uh, I've really enjoyed it. Uh, lots of interesting and useful advice. Thank you. Uh, I really enjoyed the conversation. Thank you very much. I did too. <laughs> That's it for this month's Ways Women Lead episode. But there is plenty more insightful and actionable advice from where this podcast came from. Check out our website on www.6-group.com if you'd like to know more about how to build and develop diverse, inclusive and effective leadership teams and how to progress your career as a leader. See you next time.